Did you know some travel credit cards offer 10x points on your spending? Don't miss out on big rewards for your next trip. NerdWallet lets you compare smart travel credit cards side by side, curated by an expert team of finance nerds. What could future you do with better travel rewards? A free flight? A room upgrade? Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. Reminder, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. In recent weeks, we've really focused on some ways that listeners can boost their income. Uh, So whether that's through starting your own side business and growing your network like Hala talked about, or when we talked with local realtor Alan about diving into investing in real estate, well... What better way to test the waters? While you are away, your home could also earn extra income. That's right. Your empty space could be an Airbnb while you're traveling, because that's all you need to become an Airbnb host. It's a lot easier than you think, and you don't need to Airbnb your entire house. You could just host your extra spare room. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at Airbnb.com slash host. Supercharge your work decks with AI-powered Canva presentations. All you do is start with a prompt. You describe your, your presentation in a few words, and Canva presentations will generate captivating slides that you can then customize in seconds. Canva presentations are designed for every workplace and every department. Whether you work in sales, marketing, HR, ops, and more, Canva presentations can generate any deck you want for work. Sales decks, marketing presentations, onboarding plans, you name it. Any department can save time on any presentation with AI. Generate slides in seconds with Canva presentations at canva.com. Designed for work. Welcome to How to Money. I'm Joel. And I am Matt. And today we're answering your listener questions. That's right, buddy. This is a listener question Monday episode of the How to Money podcast. We've got five excellent questions to answer during this episode. Student loans are resuming. So uh, a listener, he is wondering how it is he should be approaching paying off those student loans. Another listener is asking about tax lost harvesting. I'm not sure if we've ever actually talked about that here on the show, but we'll dig in today. We yeah, we will. We're going to talk about whether it's worth paying a fee in order to do that, even a 1% fee, maybe how you could do it yourself, how mm-hmm. you can potentially DIY it in order to save money. And then another listener has a question about some medical bills, him and his wife, his partner, how they could financially prepare for having a baby. We'll get to those three, plus a couple of others during this episode. Before we get to those real quick, so was it last week? Uh, yeah, last week we were talking about the lengths that we would go in order to save money while we're <laughs> flying. And we, we talked about uh, <laughs> the different folks that are wearing like the fly fishing vests. Uh-huh. Hey, we didn't mention specifically, but there's a there's like a specific vest. Uh, so those are like the basic fly, like actual literal fly fishing vests. But is it Scotty vest? Is that how you say it? Yeah. Did we not mention those? I don't think we mentioned okay. it. They're kind of expensive, but they yeah. have all these like myriad pockets. And so you can put a laptop in the pocket of your vest and stuff like <laughs> and that. And it's like the, what is it? RFID uh-huh. proof or whatever. So, so a lot of people use those like to from a security standpoint. stuff their pockets full and travel easier. So, so here's a quick question. Would you go out and buy what if uh what if you had received that vest for like father's day would you wear it when you when you travel i don't think i would i think i'm too f- and i'm not even terribly fashion conscious but i, I care too much about what i look like you're like i'm too vain to wear a goofy dad vest <laughs> we'll link to it in the on the website but it looks like 
you can wear it in such a way that you can potentially look cool. You think? It's all about attitude and style, man. Like you can <laughs> okay. make things look cool. But uh, speaking of travel, you uh, you just booked a, a trip for uh, for you and Emily this fall. So Are you excited about I, that? I do because well, I did. I I was did it on a whim, honestly. But part of the reason I did was because the deal was too good to pass up. So Southwest had a sale. Well, like last week or two weeks ago, and it was basically forty percent off flights, including when you paid with points. And so I had a stash of Southwest points sitting there. Yeah, boy. I was trying to figure out what to do for our anniversary anyway. Lucky number thirteen coming on up. And I swear, I spent like uh, fourteen thousand Southwest points to go round trip to uh, to and from New York for both of us. Wow. So pretty that's, cheap. That's a solid deal. And we'll spend a few days there, hang out, and I use some some other credit card points to book. Uh, a sweet hotel so it's going to be an inexpensive anniversary trip but should be a blast too nice so the moral of the story is to go where the deals are don't necessarily choose a, a destination a location and say all right now we've got to find a good deal yeah in, i in actually get there i looked at a bunch of flights, those flights a bunch of different destinations and i was like i mean new york's not been on our list and it's the cheapest so that's where we went but i looked even at uh granted i don't think we we're going to be able to take this kind of a trip but there were some great deals to hawaii too that week like three Ooh. 340 round trip to to Maui. I mean, that's pretty pretty good. So yeah, yeah, we still haven't been to Hawaii, but it's it's yet to be determined whether or not we we will make it there. Maybe this year. next time Southwest yeah. has a 40% off sale. I will say that's that's pretty sweet, man. <laughs> it was like oh yeah, off a bunch of different flights. And by the way, you would have known about this awesome sale if you follow us on Instagram at How to Money Pod. We, uh, I mean, it was that significant. We felt like we should let everybody know about <laughs> it. So uh, go, go check us out there. We're always posting interesting stuff. But Matt, let's move on. Let's mention the beer we're having on this episode. It's called A Generous Characterization of Those You Remember Otherwise. Of course, by burial. <laughs> it's got a weird name like that. We'll give our thoughts on this stout towards the end of the episode. But let's move on uh, to, as well, let's get to listener questions. And if you have a, a question you want Matt and I to tackle on an upcoming Ask HTM episode, we'd love to hear it. Just go to howtomoney.com slash ask for the simple directions for uh, so you can record that voice memo. Get it on over our way. Hopefully, we take it soon. Let's get to the first question, Matt. This one is about paying off those student loans and how best to go about it. Hi, Matt and Joel. My name is Max from Buffalo, New York. I have a question regarding my credit score and debt repayment. I graduated college a few years ago with $34,000 in student loans. During the student loan payment pause, I managed to save $42,000 in a high-yield savings account. I intend on using these savings to pay off the student loans when the payment pause ends. My credit score is A750. My only other debt is $6,000 owed on a 3% auto loan. The vehicle is worth $16,000. I have 6,000 in a Roth, 5,000 in a 401k, and 2,000 in my checking account. I'm 30 years old, make 80,000 a year, and can save $1,500 a month. I have a single credit card with no open balance. My question is, how would you approach this debt payoff while maintaining my credit score? I would love to buy a house in three to five years, and retirement is also a consideration as I am behind. Love the show, guys. Thanks for the help. Uh, holy crap, Max. (laughs) (laughs) $42,000. That is a ton of money. And this is exactly what we've been hoping that How to Money listeners uh, around the country would be doing. Basically using this three plus year payment break on those student loans as a way to springboard themselves forward in a massive way when it comes to the different financial goals that folks have for themselves. And Max, you have done just that. So congrats. (laughs) Congrats. <laughs> Kudos to you. Uh, now you've got a lot more options at your disposal than you otherwise would have. Yeah, I know we were kind of 
talking about that, beating that drum in the early days when student loans were paused and we were trying to give people a playbook. Hey, use this time Mm -hmm. as an opportunity. Don't let it go to waste. A lot of people, sadly, ended up letting it go to waste, but not Max. Not Max. They just consumed that money as opposed to continuing to essentially maintain that payment. But instead of that being an outgoing expense or transfer or payment, maybe setting that aside in a savings bucket, uh, a sinking fund, perhaps. And and now Max, he's in the catbird seat, right? Because $42,000 in three years, that's sick (laughs) in Mm -hmm. in a good way. I mean that in the way the kids kids say it. (laughs) Sick, brah. (laughs) And I just, I see no reason... uh, uh, to not pay off the full balance in August before interest starts accruing again. And Max said that he the balance is $34,000, which means he saved up a lot more even than just the balance, than just the, the principal mm-hmm. amount that he's going to have to pay off on those loans. An extra eight k which, given the other things he said, would be perfect to slot into his emergency fund, hopefully making it kind of this fully funded emergency emergency fund, getting close to that three, four, five-month uh, expenses range covering that, that amount. Dare I say six months. Six even. months would be amazing, <laughs> right? But I don't know if I don't know if this 8K is going to get in there. It depends on you know how, what his budget is every mm-hmm. month. But uh, And then he also mentioned the car loan. I'd just pay that as agreed if I were Max Matt. I mean, he's got that, that pretty low 3% interest rate. There's no reason yep. to- No rush there prioritize that and and especially because uh, he can funnel extra dollars too coming in it sounds like he has a decent chunk of, of extra money every month he can be funneling that into workplace retirement accounts into his Roth IRA and really start setting himself up for success in retirement and so yeah I mean I feel like Max is hitting on all cylinders and so much of that is due due to his dedication his discipline during this payment pause and now uh, the world is his oyster that's right. Yeah. So essentially, we're kind of talking about the order in which you should, uh, how you should be handling your money. We're talking about the money gears. So we'll make sure to link to an episode where we discuss the money gears or a page where you can see those all listed out. But the only exception, I think, to paying off those student loans uh, once those repayments resume would be uh, if. Max, you didn't mention whether or not your employer offers a match on your 401k, but you want to make sure that you are fully taking advantage of that max. Yeah. Sorry, of that match, <laughs> not max. Uh, because can, that's Can you say max match three times fast? It's, it's kind of tricky, uh, <laughs> but because that is a 100% return on your money. Yeah. And that's just a whole lot of money that you could absorb that you have set aside in cash that you can put towards a 401k. But it, make sure that you keep that in mind. It sure sounds like, based on what Max said in his question, that he can handle getting the full match if there is one and maxing out the Roth IRA in addition to paying off student loan debt. And if that's the case, that's, I mean, that's what I would love to see for him. That's, yeah, that's true. With $8,000 plus that $1,500 monthly coming in, I mean, yeah, it seems like Max is yeah, able to max everything, <laughs> max everything out. Go make some big strides. Uh, but Max, you also asked about how paying off the student loan debt will impact your credit score. And the truth is, yeah, paying that sucker off, it will ding your credit score for a second. The The credit scoring system, it, it can be and often is counterintuitive uh, because you would think that by paying off this big mass of debt that that would make you look good. But alas, you're eradicating an installment loan from your life. Uh, and that is a portion. The different credit reporting bureaus take that into account, the diversity of the kind of debt that you have, uh, whether it's installment or revolving debt. And making these regular payments, that is what uh, the folks like TransUnion and Equifax that they like to see 
But you don't want to let the credit score tail wag the debt dog. Paying this off, this is going to be the best thing for your personal finances uh, and your your credit score. It's not going to be dinged for long. Honestly, if you were going to if you were talking about buying a home this year or even sooner, like in the next two to three months, we would tell you to hold off uh, paying that thing off altogether. But you've got plenty of time. I think he said three to five years. Oh, yeah. Um, and so in that time period of time, you're going to be able to see your credit score bounce back. Typically paying off something like that is going to be a, a pinch for a short period of time. So like you said, if it was a quick turnaround on buying that house, then that would Hey, yeah, maybe hold off until after you've actually, you know, got that loan, started applying for mortgages, have those quotes in hand once you've closed on that house. But because we're talking about years down the road, it doesn't matter. Go ahead and pay it off. And this is another reason, too, to to maybe not attack the car loan as well, because you didn't say how how much time you have left on that car loan. But keeping again, that's another type of that's a installment loan, installment debt. Keeping that around will provide that depth, Mm -hmm. uh, that robustness to your credit report. Yeah. Last thing, by the way, Matt, uh, Max mentioned that he has one credit card. And if that works for him, Uh, mm -hmm. if that's like the best best way for him to approach his finances with complete simplicity, that's great. But we would also say that opening up another credit card or two now, even before you pay off your student loans, years in advance of that home purchase, that can help boost your credit score too, while kind of adding to your ability to, to garner rewards for your spending. And Matt, you and I were all for an easy, uncomplicated system, but it's also important to consider uh, our uh, our super chill credit card strategy that we talk about. Because when you have three cards, not going overboard, getting overly complicated, which some people tend to do, but maxing your rewards within like uh, an easy to understand uh, framework, doing some optimizing without requiring too much additional effort, I think that can be the best way for a lot mm-hmm. of people to go. And Max, you do you, but uh, we like the three card system as a way to optimize without overdoing it, without needing like an Excel spreadsheet to keep up with everything. But at least consider that, right? Because especially as you're getting rid of the student loans, as you continue paying off that car loan, as you're looking to keep your credit score moving on up, then I, I do think it might be helpful to apply for an additional line of credit on the credit card front. Uh, totally can't hurt might help it's an easy way to thicken that credit file because right now with a single credit card like it sounds kind of thin and the ability to to add more data points to that credit report i think will be helpful but Mm -hmm. but simultaneously you don't want to obsess over a credit score i I think he said that uh he's got like a 750 that's a really good credit score and you can keep it in that range you're in all likelihood going to qualify for the best rates when it comes time terms to buy in that home and I don't. You didn't say you're going to do this <laughs> or anything, uh, but let's say your uh, your car loan is going to happen to be paid off like later this year or something like that. Well, don't go out and finance another car yeah. in order to add a, a, some some revolving debt to your credit score. Because let's say you d- you don't end up buying a house five years from now. You're t- we're talking about years and years of paying interest towards something that you don't necessarily need to pay interest towards, as mm-hmm. opposed to eliminating that debt, have keeping cash in the bank, like cash rules in this in this sense, especially when rates are nearing 5%, the ability for you to earn money on that money, that that cash you've got set aside uh, when, the, when the time does come for you to purchase a home. Yeah. So what, what's we best, don't want you to worry too much about the credit score. What's best for your money, what's best for your finances trumps what's best for your credit score. And it's not that credit scores are unimportant. We talk about the importance of them and how to tend to them quite a lot on the show, but you, you still, yeah, you, second, uh, credit scores are secondary to paying less interest and reducing debt. How much money you yeah. actually have leaving your account exactly. towards interest. Yeah. But uh, all right, we've got several other questions we're going to get to this episode, including one. We've got a question from a listener and she wants to know how it is that she can reduce the cost of her car insurance. We'll get to that one plus others right after this. 
Asking the right questions can greatly impact your future, especially when it comes to your finances. So if you're looking for a financial advisor you can trust, certified financial planner professionals are committed to acting in your best interest. They are committed to high ethical standards and even had to pass a rigorous exam before they could become a CFP professional. They offer financial planning and services that take a more comprehensive view of your financial and personal circumstances and are customized for your needs. Certified financial planner professionals can offer advice on a wide range of issues like reviewing your investment portfolio's allocation, handling an inheritance, rolling over a company retirement plan, building education savings, and so much more. That's why it's got to be a CFP. Find your CFP professional at letsmakeaplan.org. I'm guessing that a lot of listeners are starting to solidify their summer travel plans. We always like to get the families together, Matt, for a week yeah, at the we beach do. every single summer. We've already got that trip to St. Simons on the calendar. Pump for that. But sometimes those vacations get expensive. So what better way to offset some of those costs than to have your home earning some money while you're away? That's right. Why let it sit empty when it could be earning extra income? It's the financially smart thing to do. So think it through. Maybe you've got some extra space in your home, or maybe you have an entire house to host. Or maybe you're just going on vacation and your home is sitting empty. In every case, you can Airbnb it. You already have the space, so it won't be a huge adjustment. I mean, the way I see it, if you're not using your space, you have two options. You can let it just sit there empty, or you do some optimizing and make some money off it. Really, if you think about it, you already have an Airbnb. You just need to start using it. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at Airbnb.com slash host. And now a word from the show sponsors at Betterment. Do you want your money to dream big? Do you want your money to be a total self-starter? Are you annoyed that your money doesn't work hard enough? Don't worry. Betterment is here to help. Betterment is the automated investing and savings app that makes your money hustle. Their automated technology is built to help maximize returns, meaning when you invest with Betterment, your money can auto-adjust as you get closer to your goal. Rebalance if your portfolio gets too far out of line and your dividends are automatically reinvested. That can increase the potential for compound returns. In other words, your money is breaking a sweat while you can be breaking bread. You'll never picture your money the same way again. Betterment, the automated investing and savings app that makes your money hustle. Visit Betterment.com to get started. Investing involves risk. Performance is not guaranteed. All right, Matt, there's a lot of people who want to lower the cost of their car insurance, especially right now. We'll get to that question in just a second. But first, let's get to one about the finer points of an HSA, a health savings account. Hey, Matt and Joel, this is Jake. First, I want to say thank you for everything that you do for this podcast. It's been incredibly helpful for me. I've got two questions for you today. The first is about HSA spending. Since I've read the blog post on your website about HSA's triple tax advantage, I've paid for medical expenses out of pocket where I can, rather than dipping into my HSA. However, your blog post mentions saving HSA receipts, and I was a little bit confused by this, hoping you could elaborate on why that's necessary, what you use that for, and when. My second question is about saving and putting a down payment on a house. My wife and I are beginning the process of looking for a home. We have enough in our uh, in our savings to put down a down payment comfortably. However, that money sits currently in a Vanguard low-cost index fund. Do we dip into that low-cost index fund for this down payment and pay whatever taxes we end up needing to pay? 
or do we begin to build up a savings account, maybe in something that's a high yield savings to move forward with that down payment? Any advice you can give would be greatly appreciated. Thank you so much. Thank you, Jake. We hope that you are also having a great day. Someone else who wants to buy a home, by the way. That's interesting. Everybody wants to buy a home. Yeah. Uh, Homes are hot. Uh, So, Jake, by the way, we we love talking about HSAs because they are honestly the reason we like talking about them because we we feel like folks don't talk about them enough. They are so incredibly underrated and also misunderstood. Like me, I would Uh, say. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, You don't think people understand you? No, I don't know. Um, (laughs) I feel understood. I feel seen. (laughs) And you're definitely not underrated. (laughs) (laughs) Some would say overrated. But yeah, we we do have that article up on the site that Jake referenced and we'll make sure to link to it in the show notes. Uh, But to, to sum it up quickly, it is potentially the best retirement account that you've never heard of or perhaps know nothing about. Uh, How do many listeners are almost all aware of the fact that the 401k, the Roth IRA, the fact that they exist and that those are retirement accounts. But the health savings account, it gets a lot less press. And the name implies, right, that you're supposed to save money in an HSA. Uh, It's a health savings account after all. But that's not the case. Uh, Not that is, if you want to maximize what it is that that account can do for you. I don't know why, but this is making me think of Moneyball, the book and subsequent movie with Brad Pitt, right? And it was basically like the Oakland A's were trying to... Soon, soon to be the Las Vegas A's. Yeah, right? apparently. <laughs> and they basically, they're trying to find the most underrated players, right? That, that took walks and they got singles and they were just much cheaper. They weren't as sexy. They weren't hitting the long ball, which is what uh, the teams were paying big money for. But they started to win because the fundamentals were, were paying off and they were getting those players at a bargain price. And, and it, the, the HSA is kind of like that. It's this underrated, underappreciated thing. And it's kind of like the money ball of saving for retirement, right? Yeah. It's not sexy at all. It's called the health savings account after all. <laughs> it's one thing it feels called like super sexy retirement account. Let's be honest. Like none of the retirement accounts sound sexy. They're all based on oh, like, really? sections of the IRS tax code, right? It's like the 401k. That's not a sexy name either. But the Roth IRA, that I guess that one has the most pizzazz named after a senator. Still <laughs> underwhelming. Still <laughs> underwhelming. But Roth. yeah, I think the, yeah, the HSA Hardcore. is one of those things where yeah, we try to give it the press it deserves because it's so great. And investing inside of an HSA, that's the key to getting the maximum tax advantages mm-hmm. in this account. And so let's talk about the most confusing part for a lot of folks, the one that Jake is asking about, which is the receipt keeping part of things. And since you're not using the HSA for current medical expenses, you're using savings that you have on hand instead to pay for whatever sort of medical uh, visits that you that you have to pay for in a given year. And because of that, it's important to keep a log of the medical bills that you're incurring along the way for tax purposes for the future. For when you do decide to pull money out of your HSA, and that's because for any money that you take out of the HSA, you got to be able to show receipts to prove it was for an eligible medical expense in order to, to reap the tax benefits, in order to, to make sure that money stays uh, unimpacted by the federal government and their, the, tax man. the long arm of the tax man. And uh, a Google Sheets or Excel file works totally fine. There's no need to complicate things a whole lot more than that. But documenting every medical expense is crucial for eventually tapping that HSA money in the future. And that's part of what makes it so flexible, too. That's right. Yeah. So let's give a quick example. Let's say that you incur a medical uh, expense of $2,500 this year. You pay for that money with money that you have out of pocket, right? The money that you've got there in savings. And then you let that money that is sitting there in your HSA continue to grow. And over time, it's going to compound. So just document that expense. And then you can pull out that specific amount 
anytime in the future, right? No matter how far down the road it is. And so whether it's 10, 10 years from now, like 2033, whether it's 2047, 2089, like literally it does not matter. But by that time, your account has hopefully grown in a massive way thanks to compounding returns and thanks to the fact that you actually have that money invested, not sitting there in a default cash. You just kind of sounded like Tommy Boy's dad when he's like, oh, I got this fridge. I can keep six packs of soda. <laughs> Anything in there. you want to drink. Anything you want to keep cold, Tommy Boy. And it's like, anytime you want to withdraw these funds. <laughs> exactly. Uh, so, I mean, what we're saying is that $2,500 that you put in now, it could be worth like $10,000 or more down the road. Uh, and you don't pay tax on that growth that you've seen, which is the other plus. So, the complete tax avoidance combined with the flexibility that HSAs offer that is what makes them so special. Yeah, I, in my mind, the HSA can almost kind of sort of work as a backup emergency fund because of the flexibility that you're talking about, Matt. As you build up funds every year and expenses. Yeah, you can tap it for whatever you want. If you start... Tommy boy. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, if you get to the point where you've got $30,000, $40,000 in your HSA, you could probably afford to have a little bit less on hand in your savings account because of the, the flexibility you have to tap those funds whenever you like, which is cool. But uh, let's let's move on to the next part of Jake's question, which is about down payment funds. And I've, congrats to you, Jake, on saving up such a massive amount for that home purchase. That's, of course, not easy. But the closer you get to, to making offers, the more you're going to want to take risk off the table. And I'm assuming that you're invested inside of a taxable brokerage account that we're not talking about selling uh, index funds and taking money out of a 401k or something like that. Yeah, I think so. Because, yeah, we wouldn't want that to be the case. We wouldn't no. want you to uh, hurt yourself from a tax and penalty perspective in order to take those that money out. But if that's you know what you've been setting this money aside for inside of a taxable brokerage account, definitely use it for that purpose. And don't worry about the capital gains tax. Basically, uh, a small success tax, which is typically 15% for most people, I would not think of that as a big deal, especially since you've probably seen decent gains. Yeah, make sure you factor in and, and understand how much you're going to owe in taxes based on that. But if the purpose of this money is to help you buy that house you've been wanting to buy, that's the exact reason to use it. Heck yeah. Don't be afraid to use it, even though you had that money invested. Because I do think that sometimes when folks have invested money for a long-term savings goal, that there could be a, a hesitation to actually tap that money for mm -hmm. that thing. But yeah, uh, the long-terms, uh, long-term capital gains is 15%, assuming that you and your wife make within the range of 83000 to $517,000, I think. Uh, as long as you fall within that, you know, that window, you're only looking at 15%, not a big deal. But you might want to start selling some of the, the funds that you've got in that brokerage account and moving that money over into your savings account so that, you know, you know a down week or even a down month that it doesn't take a bite out of your down payment amount when all of a sudden you need to tap that money immediately for your earnest money. Um, that's not something that you don't want it to be a bad week <laughs> when you have to transfer that money over. And you could, and, and honestly, you likely should, start adding any money that you might be putting towards that house as that down payment to that high yield savings account every month instead of putting that money, uh, socking that money into that brokerage account. So, you know, it does sound like you're looking, which means that you'll be making an offer sooner rather than later. And I would be de-risking as we speak. And a part of that is making these funds a bit more liquid so that you can spend it for the purpose in which you've saved it for. Jake, you and your wife, y'all have done well uh, with the money that you've invested so far, but now it's time to use that money for its intended purpose. We're really excited for y'all. And we hope for your sake that rates continue to drop and you're able to find uh, the yeah, 
hustle your dreams. There's a lot of people hoping rates will drop. <laughs> but even then, oh, who knows how much it's going to impact affordability. You never know. Might just start the feeding frenzy again on, in the home buyer's market. But we will see. We need more supply. Yeah. That is what we need. It's, it comes down to the fundamentals, man. Hope you find something great, the, though, Because the Jake. demand is not going to change. Folks just like Jake, folks just like Max, they are looking to buy homes. We need more homes on the market. Yes, we do. All right, let's move on to our next question, Matt. This one is specifically about insurance rates going through the roof. Hi, Joel and Matt. My name is Frankie and I'm from Florida. I just learned that my car insurance is increasing by 66%. Apparently, there was legislature passed in the state of Florida that kept insurance companies from increasing the rate last October. Now that this policy has ended, I am getting a double rate increase and my monthly payments are going from $68 a month to $110 a month. This new price already includes a 5% discount for bundling renter's insurance as well. I have a completely clean driving record and nothing has changed on my end of things. I was wondering if you guys had any advice besides for shopping around for different quotes. This is something that I am currently doing, but it does seem like my current insurer is on the cheaper end of things. I have also already made sure that my policy is appropriate and there are no places to scale back on without sacrificing adequate coverage. Is car insurance something I can negotiate on? I would appreciate any and all feedback you guys are able to give me. Thanks so much and I love the podcast. All right, Frankie, thank you so much for your question. And one thing I want to point out, if you were listening, hopefully you caught this, but Frankie's got renter's insurance. Wow, this love it. This is one of those insurance products that is crazy cheap, but too many renters forego it. They're they're skipping it completely. Uh, I think it's like the stats show that barely more than half of renters have renter's insurance in place, which is not good. And it's because in part, the cost of renter's insurance is typically comparable to like a monthly Netflix subscription. <laughs> do you want to watch The Crown or do you it want is, to have all your possessions covered? You know, It is so worth the peace of mind knowing that all your stuff is going to be covered. For sure. uh, and so you can always check over at Policy Genius. But Lemonade, they are uh, a new provider. They've been reviewed really well and they are certainly worth checking out. Yeah, they, they oft, often offer some of the cheapest renter's insurance policies. But check with the, the company you, you currently, you know, have auto insurance with or whatever as well. It's it's at least worth kind of getting some quotes, right? If you like Frankie and bundle and save. Yeah. And if you're like, I don't know if I have renter's insurance, well, go check <laughs> because it's it's well worth it. Like you said, the cost of it. It's uh, If you're asking, do I have renter's insurance? You probably don't. You probably don't. <laughs> <laughs> you're probably in that like 48% or whatever of people uh-huh. who, who don't have it which is not good. And uh, all right, so so let's talk about what's going on with car insurance and how much it costs these days, Matt. Obviously, what Frankie is enduring is a big, big increase. And it's tough to stomach. And especially it's tougher to stomach in, when you're looking at the percentage, like 40% in one year. Like why? Why would you do yeah, that? Almost double. Yeah. Uh, and the, the truth is, Inflation is one of the main culprits here. As, as home and car values have risen and the cost of repairing and maintaining both of these things have gone up, the cost to insure them is rising similarly. The insurance companies are responding essentially to economics and uh, so much so that a couple of the big insurance companies like State Farm and Allstate have literally stopped writing policies in California because the insurance mm-hmm. commissioner in California won't allow them to increase their rates. And so they're saying, wait a second, if we don't increase our rates, we're taking on the chin. We are losing 
money hand over fist. And which, so, which then mean so with there being less competition, what is that then going to mean for the insurers that remain? That's right. Uh, yeah, most likely higher rates. And what does that mean? For, does the exact opposite of what it is that policy wonks are trying to implement? Yeah, it's 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 a problem. And so it's a it's a messy situation, and it means millions of folks like Frankie paying a steeper price every single month, every single year on insurance too. That's right. Well, Florida customers in particular are seeing higher rate increases, even more so on the homeowners front, because Florida is also it's just one of those states where things uh, can be more expensive, maybe due to the fact that they get hit oh, <laughs> by yeah. hurricanes. Largely due to that. A whole lot. But Frankie, great job, as it sounds like that you've done a lot of work to reduce your premium costs, right? Like you are already doing most of the things that we would recommend. You're bundling, you are looking at unnecessary, uh, like your deductible perhaps is higher than maybe the default is. Uh, but we've got a few more suggestions up our sleeves and we, we do hope that they help. First of all, or one other thing that you've done too, you, like you say that you are doing some shopping. Well, that is great uh, and is definitely the first step for anyone who is also in your situation. But you might also want to ask for help with your shopping. Uh, so what we're talking about here are independent brokers and trustedchoice.com is the place where you can find a local independent insurance agent who can shop with a bunch of different insurance companies all at once. Since they're local, they know a lot of the ins and the outs and how it is specifically that you can save there in the state of Florida. And in addition, they'll take into account your specific situation and can often find savings that you won't be able to find on your own with just a simple search with some of the different online aggregators. Yeah. So maybe you have shopped individually, but have you used uh, the expert help? of an independent agent. If not, that might be the best way to go. That might be something worth considering. I said and, aggregator, not alligator. I think when I'm thinking about Florida, and um, there should be an insurance <laughs> site called like Florida Aggregator, and it sounds like alligator. <laughs> <laughs> I can see some... I'm going to go reserve that URL real quick. Cute commercials. Uh, <laughs> uh, make, point, make people aware of that site. But yeah, I think it's, it's... Second, ask your current insurance company about all the discounts, right? Because most insurers are going to give you a, a pretty sweet discount for taking something like a defensive driving course. Uh, going in person to do one of those courses, is it sucks, and I would not recommend that. But <laughs> AARP offers one that you can take online. I did that, Matt. It took like 30 minutes. And well, it, it depends on... Uh, it might suck, but it may not suck for her, right? Like, it just depends on the individual, what they've got going on. And that's like... I think that's what's so great about asking for some of these discounts. Yeah. Because for some... for You know, again, it's like one man's cheap is another man's frugal. And so for somebody, they might think, oh, I'm not going to do that. But for, for somebody else, they're thinking, I'm willing to take whatever, almost whatever steps are necessary in order to reduce these costs. Yeah. And something like that is doing the online defensive driving thing. It's pretty simple. And a sure, lot of people yeah. are going to save hundreds of dollars a year. Very low hanging fruit. By doing that one thing. And so, yeah, consider that and maybe ask your current insurance company, hey, how much would I save if I did this? And then there are a bunch of other similar discounts that insurance companies tend to offer, right? Talk to your agent and see which ones you qualify for. For instance, if you don't drive a lot, if you drive less than 7,500 miles a year, you're probably going to qualify for a massively discounted rate. So yeah, make sure to be able to document that and ask specifically about that and whether you can save a lot of money uh, uh, with that sort of discount applied. You might also score a better rate for letting them track your driving or by being a member of a specific organization. Mm -hmm. There are just so many discounts that you might qualify for, uh, but you might not know if you qualify for them because you haven't asked the question. You haven't asked. Yeah, we talk about the art of asking for a discount here on the show, but in this case, it's not, even, it's not really an ask. I'm sorry, it's not really an art. It's just the task of asking. Like, mm -hmm. <laughs> just ask because they're not going to voluntarily say, hey, here's a bunch of ways that you can save money. <laughs> it's like pulling a thread uh, a, from a, a sing, sweater. <laughs> a singular thread. You pull this thing and all of a sudden, like, 
all of these options yeah. will drop into you your just lap. Just keep asking, wait, wait a second, what, what other <laughs> discounts do you have at your disposal that I'm not aware of? And uh, just keep barking up that tree and see what they've got and then and try to jump through those hoops mm-hmm. so that you can bring the cost back down. It's, yeah. You're not going to get it back to what it was in all likelihood, but you should be able to save uh, to at least bring it down a little bit. And I think, what so one other option, you mentioned her not, like potentially if she drives 7,500 or fewer miles. I think if that's the case, it might even be worth not paying for insurance because if you don't have a car you don't have to insure it <laughs> and i don't want you to be short-sighted here that that, but that would be illegal it, it but is. no it would be illegal to not have car insurance oh i'm but what i'm saying is that she'd get rid of a car uh oh. and so if you're not driving a ton of miles consider some of the other options like if like if you have a friend at work and they happen to live nearby you can carpool if maybe you can take public transit if that's something that's offered there in your area or even walking or biking for some of the other errands that you need to run, that kind of thing. And then if you need to get across town, you can Uber and Lyft. There are just so many different options uh, that are available to you. And I don't want you to, like the default assumption shouldn't be, well, you've got to have a car. Well, for a lot of folks, yes, you, you do. Well, but at th- some point, it, depending on how expensive insurance gets, we would all make a different choice. Oh, right? yeah. So if insurance, It all comes down to running the numbers and seeing what makes sense. If insurance goes from $1,000 a year to $8,000 a year, I rethink every single habit that I have on the car. Yep. Front, you know? so, um, <laughs> Absolutely. At some point, the pain becomes too difficult. And yeah, you do rethink everything from the ground up. So don't be well, like a frog in boiling water and start to kind of question. Where you just get used to yeah, it. Yeah, start to question basically the whole premise of whether or not you need a car. I think that's that's a reasonable thing and to Especially to for Frankie. I, she sounds like she might be a little bit younger and I think this is easier to pull off when you are younger and you've got a little more flexibility when you've got more responsibility maybe when when you've got kids this is a harder thing to do but there's a lot of things that we did early on that a lot of folks would have considered to be the quote-unquote extreme path to take but you know what we're all for you considering some of these extreme options if it allows you to reach some of your financial goals sooner, yeah. Frankie. We want you to consider that. 100%. All right, Matt, we've got more questions to get to, including one about reducing taxes as you're investing and in growing your wealth. We'll talk about that and more right after this. Asking the right questions can greatly impact your future, especially when it comes to your finances. So if you're looking for a financial advisor you can trust, certified financial planner professionals are committed to acting in your best interest. They are committed to high ethical standards and even had to pass a rigorous exam before they could become a CFP professional. They offer financial planning and services that take a more comprehensive view of your financial and personal circumstances and are customized for your needs. Certified financial planner professionals can offer advice on a wide range of issues like reviewing your investment portfolio's allocation, handling an inheritance, rolling over a company retirement plan, building education savings, and so much more. That's why it's got to be a CFP. Find your CFP professional at letsmakeaplan.org. I'm guessing that a lot of listeners are starting to solidify their summer travel plans. We always like to get the families together, Matt, for a week yeah, at the we beach do. every single summer. We've already got that trip to St. Simons on the calendar. Pumped for that. But sometimes those vacations get expensive. So what better way to offset some of those costs than to have your home earning some money while you're away? That's right. Why let it sit empty when it could be earning extra income? It's the financially smart thing to do. So think it through. Maybe you've got some extra space in your home, or maybe you have an entire house to host. Or maybe you're just going on vacation and your home is sitting empty. In every case, you can Airbnb it. You already have the space, so it won't be a huge adjustment. I mean, the way I see it, if you're not using your space, you have two options. You can let it just sit there empty, or you do some optimizing and make some money off it. Really, if you think about it, 
You already have an Airbnb. You just need to start using it. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Spring cleaning is kind of an annual rite of passage. We've all got to do it. Minimize the junk that we have in our house. Emily and I, we just cleaned our closets out. It took hours, but it was so worth it. Now we've only got stuff in there that we love, and it's easier to find everything too. And so, you know, while cleaning your closets is helpful, well, there's something else you can do for your family this spring. Shopping for life insurance with Policy Genius, for example, is a really important part of your financial planning for the year. That's right. Yeah. And here is the thing that's important to remember because you might be thinking you don't need to check out Policy Genius because you've got a policy through work. But even if you have a life insurance policy through your job, it may not offer you enough protection for your family's needs and it may not follow you if you leave your job. With Policy Genius, you can find life insurance policies that start at just $292 per year for $1 million of coverage. Some options offer same day approval and avoid unnecessary medical exams. Policy Genius works for you, not the insurance companies, and that means they don't have an incentive to recommend one insurer over another, so you can trust their guidance. Save time and money and provide your family with a financial safety net using Policy Genius. Head to policygenius.com to get your free life insurance quotes and see how much you could save. That's policygenius.com. We are back from the break, fielding some of these different questions that our lovely listeners have sent our way. And Joel, before we get to that tax loss harvesting question, let's hear from a listener. And he wants to make sure that he is financially prepared to have a baby. Hey, Mangel, this is Tyler from Pocatello, Idaho. I've been listening to this show for a few months now and absolutely love it. Thanks for all you do. Uh, I just had a question regarding medical insurance or medical bills um, and how to negotiate them when they seem a bit too high. I'm not dealing with this currently, but I do plan on, you know, having kids in the future and don't want to be overcharged for that. So yeah, I was just wondering, what's the process for going through and negotiating bills down and kind of what to do when the people don't want to play nice, I guess. <laughs> uh, thanks for your answer. Uh, and yeah, have a nice day. Matt, I love, I love that Tyler is asking this question proactively. He's like, hey, kids are on the horizon. I want to know now. Type A personality right here, That's baby. right. I'm going to get my ducks, ducks in a row <laughs> way before I actually need them. And so, I mean, obviously, we all know that healthcare in the United States is messed up in a lot of ways. And that's a topic for another day, <laughs> probably for smarter people than you and I to tackle. But there are a lot of ways that Tyler specifically and a lot of people out there can decrease the pain of medical bills in their lives. Uh, and again, uh, since he's asking on the front end, he's got even more of an ability to change the outcome and to really lessen the cost, I think, of any procedure, including including having kids. You know what, man? Let's take Tyler's specific example of having a baby, which we're all about, by the way. Kids, kids are the best. They are worth all the heartache, all the sleepless nights, all the money <laughs> involved <laughs> with even just bringing them into this world. But I would call your insurance company first and see what is covered on this front. Uh, basically, we're talking about making sure that you are gathering the right information, that you have the right data on hand in order to, to make a very informed decision. But you want to know if... Uh, maternity care, like prenatal care, uh, plus labor and delivery, all of these things, are they all covered? Now, what about ultrasounds? Because oftentimes those are 
not performed there at the office of your OB. It's a separate charge. It's a separate location a lot of times. Yeah, those can add up if it's not covered by insurance. Yeah. Uh, and then which specific hospitals even are, you know, that you have there in the area, take your specific insurance. Because even with insurance, it's going to be important to save up around like three to $5,000, which is a lot of money. But the average cost without insurance is more in the eighteen to $20,000 range in order to have a healthy, uh, healthy pregnancy and delivery. I think a lot of people with good insurance, they're shocked at the bills they receive after uh, giving birth. And I get it. Like that's, that's a lot of money, but given kind of what it costs for cash payers, most of the time, it's a significant savings. Oh yeah. Yeah. And by the way, going natural is going to save you some money too. Cause uh, <laughs> we're talking about all these additional costs and epidural can cost easily. I mean, it can cost you in the thousands of dollars. We're dudes, so we will shut up on this front because obviously some ladies are going to say it's the best money that they have ever spent. Yeah, but we're just putting it out there. But we want to make sure that you have considered all of these different, all these multiple expenses that you're faced with. Because so, like early on when we were considering having our first child, we had a healthcare plan with a very, very high deductible, and so we reached out to the hospital. We got that upfront cash price, and it made more sense for us to go that route. But you also want to make sure to make sure and to realize that, well, that's just with a hospital. So they're basically you've got the itemized charge of the hospital. You're basically paying for access to the facility. It pays the nurses, that kind mm-hmm. of thing. But then your obstetrician, all that care, the delivery, all of that, like that's a separate conversation. That's a separate charge. The epidural, like I mentioned, if you want that, that's an anesthesiologist. Those are very expensive as well. There are all these separate charges. It's not, I mean, maybe... There's a reason they drive a Porsche to the hospital. (laughs) Yes. It's maybe where you are, and there are some folks who have gone, gotten like a package deal, perhaps, where all of the expenses are covered on the same bill. But that is not what we have found here in Atlanta. And so you want to make sure that you are aware of all the different expenses one that other, you might face. One other thing worth mentioning is that when open enrollment comes, if you know, hey, next year, we're going to get we're getting pregnant in December. And, and next year, we're definitely having a baby. Uh, obviously, some of those things, you can't plan them out perfectly. But if that's your goal, make sure you have the coverage that's going to be the most cost effective when you're in a year where you're going to have higher health costs coming your way. And it sounds like the kind and of so thing that, that might mean not that having does. the highest deductible uh, coverage that year. It might mean a lower deductible. Paying well, more in premiums every single month, but you know that you're going to hit exactly. that maximum out of pocket. So let's make sure that you're, you are on the poshest plan possible. If you're going from a, a $12,000 deductible to a $4,000 deductible, well, it's worth that increase in premiums, right? Yeah, let's make it $2,000. Right, yeah. <laughs> let's go ahead and hit that. Okay, I mean, wh- one, Whatever you're offered, just when yeah. you know you're going to hit basically hit that amount, go with the the lowest. Uh, you run the numbers, but go with the lowest deductible possible. Probably. Totally, yeah. It's, okay. So one last thing. So Kate and I, we've had four kids. So I feel like we've got a lot of <laughs> like personal experience. But consider instead of going to a hospital, a, a birthing center, uh, especially if you are younger, if you have not had any health complications or concerns, going with a birthing center where truly all the costs are on one single bill there mm-hmm. at the birthing center. But that is a way that we saved a ton of money with our fourth child. And you were cash payers. You didn't have we insurance. Paid, we paid cash. It was by far the most affordable way for us to have a kid. Yeah. Uh, of all the... Yeah. I've got, I've got it all saved. I know how much they all cost. <laughs> Westy cost the least amount of money <laughs> to have. But we also knew that, you know, baby four, we felt very comfortable with the entire process. We had zero complications before, but that's something to, something to consider. I mean, if you want to go extreme, you can do a, you can do a home birth, uh, but might be a little too risky, <laughs> a little too risky. There are some folks who believe that that's the way that 
they should be giving birth. Yeah. And, but obviously, well, make sure the that, right personnel on hand. Yeah, yeah, and make sure that you are incredibly informed. Don't just do it to save money. Like there need to be other <laughs> frugal <reasons>. or cheap. <laughs> make sure like that you are doing it for other reasons. And there are a lot of people who are doing it for the for great reasons. Yeah. Uh, but don't just do it to save some money. Well, let's talk quickly too about what to do after you get a bill. So like after the birth, how do you respond? And man, we had a guy named Marshall Allen, a journalist, on mm-hmm. the show back in the day. We just replayed that episode actually on Friday. And so I, I would tell Tyler to go back and listen to that episode. I don't think we've had a better how to minimize healthcare cost episode than that one. And uh, the, what Marshall Allen says, the title of his book is Never Pay the First Bill. And that's because insurance, uh, your insurance company might not have even had a chance to negotiate the price with the medical provider yet by the time you get that bill in the mail. So you're going to want to wait until after that's been done. Those negotiations have happened. And then once you have the hopefully now discounted bill, you want to make sure that you have an itemized version of that bill. That way you can push back on anything that looks out of place, right? Like, why does that ibuprofen cost $98? That's absurd. You know, that kind of stuff. And you can use a site like Healthcare Blue Book to see what the cost should be based on all the data they've gathered from around the country. And you can push back to that healthcare provider if their costs kind of aren't in line with what Healthcare Blue Book says they should be. That's right. And then after that, we're going to take the uh, approach that we presented with Frankie as far as asking for discounts, <laughs> because it's worth noting that most hospitals, they employ patient advocates who you can talk to. Uh, and many of these different hospitals also have published financial assistance guides up on their website. It, basically, depending on your family size, your income, you might be eligible to receive a significant discount on the bill with no questions asked, uh, or you might even be able to have it completely forgiven, yeah. uh, depending, again, depending on your personal situation. So keep that in mind. But I love of how you are thinking ahead, Tyler. Joel, I really liked how like your approach just as far as thinking ahead and knowing that like, all right, it's open enrollment later this year. Oh, we're probably going to have a baby in 2024. That's how you want to approach this. You want to be thinking ahead. I guess I like it because that's how Kate and I approached it. And literally, I remember when we had gotten married, or I think maybe it was even before we got married, we kind of talked through like rough dates, rough times when we thought we might want to have start having kids. And I have that on the calendar uh, like on January 1st. Of course you did. <laughs> it says, I'm sure it's actually still on the calendar because we don't delete stuff. And I'd like to see what happens. you put on the calendar nine months before that date. <laughs> and it says, start having a baby <laughs> with a question mark on January 1st. Like start having a baby this year. Uh, and so, but that is, again, like you said, you can't plan things out perfectly, but it's something you can start to prepare for. And to that extent, you can also go ahead and, and just start saving some money now as well, right? And, and so let's say maybe you're roughly two years away. Uh, if you were to sock away $125 a month starting now, that's going to ensure that you will have exactly $3,000 on hand to pay for uh, a portion of the cost related to birth. Um, it's so, like a baby sinking fund, you know? Y- yes, exactly. I mean, we, we do that when it comes to other goals, other things that we want to purchase. And granted, we're not. it's not like a simple transaction where you head to Walmart and buy a, <laughs> buy a baby. But we should be approaching some of these different savings buckets or different life goals like having a baby. It needs to be married and have its feet planted here on earth when it comes to the practical steps that we need to take to be financially prepared for that. True. Agreed. So yeah, start saving now. Start thinking about it now. There's a lot of proactive planning you can do. It doesn't just have to be reactive when the bill gets in the mail and your jaw drops because you're shocked at how expensive the birth actually was. So Mm -hmm. Tyler, best of luck to you in this endeavor, not only in the endeavor of starting a family, but in doing it in a cost-effective way. All right, Matt, let's get to our, our last question of this episode. This one is about saving on taxes as an investor. 
Hey guys, this is Steve in Oregon. I've got a question about uh, using a financial planner. We've been with a company, um, it's actually a friend of mine, and I trust them and they do a good job, but uh, they charge the standard 1%, which I see that coming out every month and I'm kind of like, I don't know how much it's worth it. Um, I'm really confident in like where I should be putting my money and all that. And, um, you know, I've kind of narrowed it down to Fidelity or Schwab, one of those. But the, the question I keep having is with like uh, the more fine tuned stuff like tax loss harvesting, for instance. Uh, that's something that my financial planner does for me every year. I guess I'm not sure if the savings from that alone is worth the the one percent because I'm perfectly fine at this point just managing everything myself. And but I couldn't find anything on your website about that. Like I know tax loss harvesting is beneficial. I'm just not entirely sure if it's worth one percent. And if it's not, like is that even something I can do easily myself through Fidelity, Schwab, or any of those low cost brokers? Thanks. All right, Steve, that actually is something that you can do yourself, but uh, at least those three big brokerage companies, they don't necessarily have any special tools built into their brokerage accounts, but it is something that you can do yourself that we'll go to here in a second. But first off, let's discuss what tax loss harvesting is. And basically, it's when you sell securities at a loss in order to reduce your tax burden for that year. Uh, But you aren't just cashing out. What you're doing is you're actually rebuying a similar fund. Not so similar that you'd be subject to the wash sale rule, but similar enough allowing you to stay invested while saving on taxes. Uh, so it's a it's a neat strategy that can help you to reduce taxation, specifically in taxable brokerage accounts. Uh, so for instance, this is like, it's like selling an S&P 500 fund, moving to a total stock market fund. And this is a good example because this is something I literally did within a brokerage account, but I've only ever done it once. <laughs> I did it last year once we saw some some big losses in the market. But because of the tax advantage nature of retirement specific accounts, so like 401ks, IRAs, tax loss harvesting is not a thing on those accounts. Uh, and hopefully the bulk of your investment dollars are within these tax advantage retirement accounts that we like the most. Yeah. So hopefully we're just talking about a small sliver of money that you have invested within a taxable brokerage. Exactly, which means tax loss harvesting is a cool tool, but it's not going to save you billions, right? Or or even probably tens of thousands of dollars. It's a minor tweak to help you reduce mm-hmm. tax burden a little bit. And so is your financial planner worth it for the tax loss harvesting uh, aspect? Probably not just for that alone. If that's the main thing you think they're providing, that's probably not enough to to justify them earning their keep. And it, it sounds like you're confident enough, Steve, to DIY, uh, except for maybe just on this front. And I also want, want to mention that there's a personal element here in this question, Matt, because this is advisor is is Steve's friend. So waters get a little murky once ex- you start it, doing business with friends. Yeah, exactly. I mean, breaking up with your friend is harder than just breaking up with a random financial advisor that you don't really know at all. And so just a heads up. <laughs> If you go in this direction, Steve, and you say, you know what, uh, if you come to the conclusion that his services aren't worth one, the 1% fee that he's charging, well, you got to figure out how to have that conversation with him. And I, I wouldn't say, 
avoiding that conversation and continuing to pay 1% is the right way to go. But you do have to find a way to talk about how you're going out on your own uh, and breaking the news to your friend, right? Yeah. That's certainly a conversation that's easier had over a beer. Yeah. Make sure you pay for the beers. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's the perfect way to break up, you know, pay for the beers. Uh, yeah. Well, and the other consideration too is this is a, a relationship that you should call into question, especially when robo advisors are out there uh, like Betterment and they include tax loss harvesting within like they charge a small fee. I think it's like 0.25%. This would be a drastic reduction from what it is that you're paying now. Uh, and then in Betterment, they, they, they even offer something that call tax loss harvesting plus, uh, but they are tax loss harvesting via an algorithm, which is pretty cool. It means that you don't have to think about it, which is honestly one downside to taking the more DIY approach is because if you're, if you're always watching the market, you might mm-hmm. be paying too close attention to the, the fluctuations and the volatility in the market. And that could potentially lead you to um, behaviors and actions, purchases, selling, things that you wouldn't normally do if you weren't otherwise watching the well, market. And your advisor might be doing something similar. Or they might say, listen, I do it once a year at this time of year. That's when I consider tax loss harvesting to see if it benefits you. Well, the Betterment algorithm might look at it continually along the whole year that's, without you having to think about it. It's the benefit of yeah relying on the software. Saving you a few hundred bucks or, or maybe even more um, on the tax loss harvesting front via an algorithm so that you're not uh, paying too much attention. Like I, I really actually love the behavioral tools that Betterment has implemented in their robo-advisor service. And this is just one of the cool ones that they have. Yeah. And so on one hand, it's like, well, I don't want to pay even 0.25% when it's something I can do on my own. But you have to take into account how else you're going to be impacted by an outsized portion of your attention going towards your investments, yeah. how that would change you as an individual. Yeah. Betterment, I think they say that they've saved customers hundreds of millions of dollars in oh, I'm sure. taxes I believe it. via their uh, automatic algorithm of tax loss harvesting. As it so, constantly just tax loss harvests. Yeah. Like whenever it's, I don't know how the alg- algorithm works, but like if you were doing it on your own, you could just set up a simple rule, like a strategy. Like, okay, if the market dips below 7%, 15%, I will sell this mm-hmm. and I will buy this instead. And so if you are going to DIY it, make sure that you have some simple rules like that in place. And we're not anti-advisors, just that for confident DIY investors, we would say a lot of those people don't need to pay that fee, especially early on. Well, um, at 1%, what it ends up costing you, it's a lot more than you think over the decades. It sounds so minimal. It sounds so unobtrusive. Like, okay, 1%, yeah, my guess is it'll cost me, sure, a rounding error here or there. But no, no, it ends up being significant when it, when it comes down to it. And depending on the amount of money you're socking away, a portfolio that would have otherwise grown to $5.8 million over 40 years would be slashed to $4.3 million just because of of a 1% fee. So 1% adds up. Is your advisor worth $1.5 million? Like that, that is the question you have to ask yourself. Uh, obviously, if we're talking lower, uh, smaller numbers, we're talking about a, a lesser bite out of that retirement uh, account. But still, 1% fees over the years add up in a meaningful way. And I think you're right to question uh, whether you're getting enough bang for the buck, Steve. Yeah, when you put it in that kind of perspective, one and a half million dollars, I'm like, I'd be willing to spend more than just like covering the beer. I'm like, we're going to go to a nice steak dinner <laughs> and <laughs> we're going to have a nice dinner, maybe even a bottle of wine. Nicest you know, breakup may- of your life. <laughs> But uh, Steve, hopefully that gives you the information you need and at least the things to consider as you are trying to figure out whether or not this this makes sense for you. But Joel, 
That's five questions. And five answers delivered. So we're going to get back to the beer that you and I enjoyed. Mission accomplished, Matt. (laughs) This is a generous characterization of those you remember otherwise. Of course, this is a burial beer. And I don't know if we've mentioned this in a minute, but burial is out of Asheville, North Carolina. They make some of the most amazing IPAs, New England hazies, as well as some massive uh, Imperial Stouts. And they definitely weren't messing around with this one either. What were your thoughts? Yeah, another big one. And this one had French toast vibes going on in a big oh, way. Oh, yeah. The cinnamon, the toastiness. The, the, yeah, the cinnamon and I think specifically the coconut. Yeah. Uh, those are the two flavors that, in my mind, set this one apart from, I guess, the one we had last Wednesday. Super boozy. And yeah. uh, again, yet again, like uh, nice sweetness on the edge, too. So it's not it's not overwhelmingly bitter, which a lot of these giant stouts are. But uh, so, I, yeah, I, I mean, I think Barrel knows what they're doing on the IPA front, but on the stout front, too. That's right. Yeah. So if you dig stouts, specifically imperial pastry stouts, then be sure to check out Burial. They're out of Asheville, North Carolina. But that's going to be it, buddy, for this episode. Listeners can find our show notes up on the website at howtomoney.com. But until next time, best friends out. Best friends out. Upswell Marketing would like to remind you that when customers choose your small business, they're really choosing you. So focus on super serving your existing customers and let Upswell handle the pipeline generation of new leads and customers. Upswell specializes in developing customized direct response campaigns and is now offering a no obligation free assessment of your current marketing strategies. Not to mention new customers also receive 15% off their first order when they mention that they heard about Upswell on this podcast. For more information, visit upswellmarketing.com. That's upswellmarketing.com. It's brand new season two. I'm Marissa Thalberg. And I'm Stephen Wolf Bededa. And we're excited to be back having bigger, bolder, and always real conversations. Straight from the C-suite front lines of marketing, media, and more. We have great friends joining from people you may know, like Wilmer Valderrama and Bobby Burke. And people you'll want to know. So grab a coffee or, hey, even an Aperol Spritz and come join us on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Listen to brand new on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Black Effect presents Family Therapy, and I'm your host, Elliot Connie. Jay is the woman in this dynamic who is currently co-parenting two young boys with her former partner, David. David, he is a leader. He just don't want to leave me. But how do you lead a woman? How do you lead in a relationship? Like, what's the blueprint? David, you just asked the most important question. Listen to Family Therapy on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.